when I say they're getting very, very good at it, they're getting very good at the technical prowess of the program. These are some of the best sculptors in the world, the, what you consider the 1% of the creme de la creme and the top guys have always been that way. They're starting to learn ZBrush now, and what they can do in that program is like what a pro modeler has done very early on just by learning a couple simple tools, a couple simple brushes, and that's it. <laughs> So hey, <laughs> how you doing, fella? Uh, it's Christmas. Um, you know, um, I'm I'm okay. It's just a little frazzled, you know, being with the folks and so on. Uh, yeah, I bet. How was your um, journey there? Was that a no, tricky one? No, actually, it was it was great. Thank goodness I didn't do it. Try to do it several days earlier because at the Atlanta airport lost complete power. You would think a the busiest airport in the world yeah. would have at least one redundant electrical system. So, um, if, if a fire <laughs> takes one out, which it did, it doesn't kill power to the entire airport shutting down. I mean, Delta airlines estimates they oh ha are out, you know, maybe $60 million worth of of business because of canceled flights and and so I mean everything went dead no, no nothing in the food courts no lights no power the whole airport was dead so somebody at the airport or the city um, is is going to get spanked uh, but fortunately yeah not in a good way but for, no, and no and not in a good way um, but it didn't fortunately it, it happened long enough ago that it didn't affect my my travel plans though my flight was was packed uh, it was mm -hmm. it was uneventful and i got in just fine and all my bags arrived and you know all things considered life is good well you got there safely that's the main thing yeah yeah how, how are you doing I'm good. I think we're just about set for Christmas. You can probably tell in my voice I, I'm, I'm a little bunged up. I got the cold. Oh, nice. The, the thing that hits you the second you stop working, you know, your body goes, oh, it can break down now. So I just kind of like, oh, so everything kind of filled up with snot. So I had the sweats yeah. yesterday and I'm, I'm pretty much back to normal today. But yeah, not feeling great. So I sound a oh, little bit more baritone today. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> little, little more, Excuse me. So I'm supping on some James beer Mason. to make it all better. <clears throat> I'm going to be doing that shortly. Very wise. Well, <clears throat> a beer and a little, a little Christmas tequila. Um. So I listened. To, I listened to the to the audio. It's it's nice. Yeah, it's cool, isn't it? I mean, it's a little noisy because we're outside in a cemetery. Because that was the only place we could record that was decent. Because anywhere indoors was like a public space, and it was just very very noisy with like coffee machines and you know the banging of baristas. So um. Uh, so yeah, we, we basically, uh, we chatted about stuff, but I think it would be good because obviously you covered this a lot with the help of Chris Donbos. I know he supplied some stuff, but you've got printers involved and I know you've been working on printing for a while. So I wondered if you would probably be best placed for an idiot like me to just sum up what 3d printing is in a nutshell and, and how it affects what we do, because I know it's going to have a significant impact over the years. Uh, but more importantly, I think it's an exciting Yeah. And, and it already is. So what is it? If I'm an idiot, tell me 
it already is having a tremendous impact. Uh, how, 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 in a nutshell, for those that don't know, yeah. What 3D printing is, in a nutshell, 3D printing is additive manufacturing. Um, doesn't matter what printer you're using, whether it's a filament printer or a, or a liquid resin or one of the powder printers, uh, it builds layer upon layer, very, very thin layers, very fine layers of material. Uh, the filaments, uh, filament printers extrude very small amounts of plastic one layer at a time, you know, maybe a tenth of a millimeter uh, or even less, some of the, depends on the size of the nozzle you've got. Uh, the resin printers can do really, really, you know, single digit micron uh, buildup of layers to create an object um, using slicing software is what, what they call it. Um, some of the printers have their own proprietary software to basically tell the printer how to break apart the model and print it layer by layer a little bit at a time. But that's essentially what it does. It's, it's additive manufacturing, uh, basically building one thin layer at a time. You have to know how to model properly because your, your model essentially has to be watertight, can't have any holes in it so that it will print properly. Um, it's not, you wouldn't build a, a model that you would build to rig for animation is not necessarily going to be ideally set up to print because there are multiple parts and they may have may have open ends and so on so you have to understand what the software is going to have to do to the model before you can get it ready to print and then the slicing software basically deconstructs that 3d model so that the mm -hmm. printer knows how to build it layer by layer and it's pretty cool you know who landon meyer is i know you've seen his masks he does yes yes his company is called hyperflesh and he makes these disturbingly realistic masks like the screaming baby and he did like trump probably seen the screaming baby trump and uh, Hillary Clinton, Kim Jong-il, um, Vladimir Putin. Um, he's printing these molds out. Um, he's, he started out sculpting. You know, the, the, the baby masks were done traditionally. He sculpted those and made gypsum molds and, and did slush casting and so on. And then he did, went to, to urethane molds with, when he started doing um, more silicone masks, which the Trump and... Um, he's, he did uh, Charlie Sheen, and he's done um, Brian Cranston for, as, as Walter White. Uh, he did a, a really cool Robert Downey Jr. one as a, as a commission that I, I saw recently. But what he's doing now, he's using a, a Lulzbot Taz printer. Uh, it's a filament printer made in Colorado. And... He's printing, he's, he's sculpting everything in ZBrush, and then he's printing the molds mm -hmm. in one piece on a, on a Lulzbot. Well, essentially two pieces, but you can, it has a cubic foot build area, so you can print, pretty much get a full human head on the build platform. And he's doing the molds uh, for these masks 
using PLA and um, I don't think he's doing nylon or ABS. I think he's just using PLA, which is a, a biodegradable corn-based plastic, which is, some of them are wonderful. Um, Poly, Polymaker has a, a new, fairly new filament that is alcohol soluble and you can put it in an alcohol post-curing chamber that hits it with a mist of alcohol and basically smooths the the lines between the the film and extrusions uh, but they have a but, oh, wow yeah so effortless kind of smoothing yeah it's it's, it's fantastic and, um, and I think they have acetone chambers for doing ABS which essentially will do the same thing uh, Adam Bean who mm. created the CX5 um, sculpting wax that's really really hard he's created a, a filament for printing and and you can re-sculpt it. But you can get smaller nozzles. The nozzle, I have, a uh, Lulzbot sent me a TAS 6 to use for my research for the book. And the, the base nozzle on, on the TAS 6 is a 0.5 millimeter nozzle. Mm -hmm. And I use, mostly I'm using uh, Simplify 3D as the slicing software, which you can dial in and get really really fine resolution i've i've printed some stuff that you can you really have to look to see the striations of the of the extrusions mm -hmm. they have a 0.35 uh, millimeter nozzle wow. that you can use so you can you can almost get resolution as good as as an sla printer that's pretty amazing yeah. may have to get myself a lulzbot they're pretty they're pretty sweet um and you know they're a good one to begin with, I guess, are they? They're pretty straightforward to use. As as filament printers go, yeah, it's it's pretty top notch. But there are I mean, there are hundreds of I I didn't realize there are so many different brands of, of filament printers out there. Mm. Um, you know, Chris talked about the the Dremel and I think he may have mentioned MakerBot, but there's Lulzbot, there's Robo, there's God, there's literally hundreds of them. Okay. Uh, so I do, guess do, yeah, they can do some research. Uh, if you pick, you know, Google in, you know, top filament 3D printers. Yeah, you'll get all kinds of reviews and and stuff. But uh, Lulzbot has got a pretty good track record, and okay. I love it because it's it's a Colorado company right just down the road from me. Mm -hmm. So I guess and it's got a huge build area. I guess the uh, the thing about printing, obviously, uh, it's not just a case of finding objects that already exist and just print them to have them. It's more about for from us from from a making point of view is actually creating objects first that you need. So the need exists first, and then mm -hmm. you create the object. And previously, we'd either construct that out of flatbed materials or we would sculpt something in clay. And instead, what this can do in theory is take that whole process out, so you can digitally manufacture the thing you know, endlessly edit it without, you know, committing anything to any materials to production. And then when you're finally happy with the finished object, then you can actually output it to whatever material you need to. So what would you yeah. say was a good, maybe free software to begin with? I mean, I know Sculptress, I'm going to put some links for these on the on the blog post, but Sculptress would be a good one for sculpting. Sculptress a is a good sculpting one. Program. Um, I think Blender, Blender, Blender would be a good one. And Fusion um, 360, I've heard of as well. Have you heard that one or used that one? 
I've heard of it. I haven't used it. I've, I've, you know, as, as you know, I don't know if all of our listeners realize that before I became a, a practical makeup guy, I was doing visual effects animation. So my, my history in CGI and 3D modeling goes back to the early 90s, 1991, 92. Mm -hmm. um, and Chris, Chris mentioned some of the software that's been using you know, 3DS Max, uh, Lightwave, uh, Maya. I'm a Lightwave guy. I, I started using Lightwave as, as my 3D modeler in 1990, I think. And and I and I still use it. It's um, it's a polygonal modeler. It's it's not a though they have uh, more organic uh, functionality in it. Um, but I'll model things in in Lightwave, and then I will convert them and load them into ZBrush and and do modifications and so on. ZBrush is is designed where it's real easy to take a scanned object. Um, you know, I, I've, I've got a really good scan of my head that we did using a photogrammetry software called um, Reality Capture. And Is that a free program? Brought that in. No, it's not. It, um, it's, but it's, it's pretty inexpensive. Okay. Um, and the results are, are spectacular. It's, Reality Capture is uh, it's 99 bucks for a three-month license. Okay. which I think is, is pretty good considering mm -hmm. what you can do with it. Um, I've just been using a single camera DSLR rig using a, you know, a, a pretty low-end Canon uh, DSLR mm -hmm. to do it. If you, know, if you know how to take a good photograph, you know, you know lighting, you can get some really, really good. I've, I've gotten great results with just one camera. If you have the, the ability to utilize a multi-camera rig, you're going to get even higher resolution because if you're using one camera, there's going to be subtle, slight movements in your subject from one image to the next. But if you could fire, say, 48 cameras simultaneously... <laughs> that would be these, good. From I think, the, uh, I think from all these different people, angles... Most people would probably not have a Most people aren't going to be able to do that because... <laughs> but you could take 48 pictures yeah. with one camera. Uh, yeah, and, and I've, I've done, I think, when we did my head, we got maybe somewhere in the neighborhood of 100 images. Okay. You know, so, you know, high angle straight on, low angle, and you can do high, not as high. You can, you can do variations from high to low mm -hmm. and all the way around. You want to make sure that you've got a, a neutral background and good lighting and subject that knows how to hold really, really still. Uh, if you've got a, a turntable, you can put them on so that you can rotate them and not have to have them stand up, move and so on, you're going to ensure better images. But get that, take that digital Im um, imagery, capture, reality capture, stitches all those images together and creates geometry mm -hmm. that you can clean up a good bit in that software before moving over to ZBrush and, and smoothing and sculpting and doing whatever you want. And in ZBrush, the Boolean functions to be able to create layers and isolate just a cheek and extrude that out and 
turn that into a turn that into a mold that mm -hmm. you can print is really quite easy once you get the, I'm still learning the ZBrush I'm mm -hmm. far from where I would like to be with it but I, I already see what's possible with ZBrush and oh my god mm. now you can if somebody's got say a, a form 2 uh, resin print SLA resin printer on location where they're shooting a film in say Croatia or <laughs> Romania you can have somebody working with digital files in Los Angeles email you those finished print, you know, finished files for, for a forehead prosthetic, a nose, the cheeks, chin, so on, and print everything on location and then cast your pieces on location without ever having had to do a life cast of the actor because he got his head scanned. Uh, which maybe took five, ten minutes. Amazing. So it's so going to be like on. the fluidity yeah, of working with text files, basically, because it's just data now. You yeah. Know, the work is and different. It, and the it, actual transfer and it of it allows is, you, is data. Yeah, and it allows you to have flexibility in your, in your pipeline as far down the pipeline as possible to be able to make changes. Because if you do a, an alginate or a silicone life cast of somebody, and you know, as Chris mentioned, you know, it, it breaks, you know, then you've got to do, you've got to try to get that actor for another life cast. And if you can't, what the hell are you going to do? But if you've done a digital scan, or say say they they gain a few pounds and you know their cheeks get a little puffier, you can. You can make some alterations to the digital cast to compensate for for certain things. Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, it's undeniable the um, <clears throat> the benefits it brings. I think my concern was ju is just how one would start if you're doing that. And I think, obviously, the most important thing is to become familiar with the digital process. So I think that's why the free software like yeah, Sculptress is a very good way to start just getting used to working in a digital way because obviously outputting to, mm -hmm. to a printer is one thing, but you've either got to have a printer or to pay for a service. But like I would say to somebody, you know, who was going to make appliances for the first time, you know, it's a good idea to just practice sculpting. You don't necessarily have to mold, cast and make appliances of everything you sculpt. You could just sculpt stuff. Do you know what I mean? Get used to the act of sculpting. Don't Abs burn absolutely. yourself with a molding and a casting process every time you do a sculpt because you can burn through a lot more stuff. So I think it's really about starting by getting some free software like ZBrush or like, um, I know Autodesk do a bunch of them. They do like um, uh, some three. Yeah, well, the, one, two, Windows, design, Windows 10 is. comes with, yeah, one, Windows 10 comes with a, a package called 3D Builder. Okay. Which you can do some, you can do some rudimentary modeling with it. Um, the Lulzbot printer may not be the most economical um, to start out with because it's it's a $2,500 printer. It's got a huge build area, which is nice. But there, as Chris mentioned, there are less expensive printers to start out with. Um, there's a company called Robo that uh, has a large build area. It's a filament printer. So, you know, a Robo machine you can get into a new one for about 500 bucks mm -hmm. as opposed to 2500 bucks and the build area on a robo is almost the same size 
as as a Taz, a little, okay. little, little bit smaller. And the nice thing about having a large build area is that you don't have to cut your model up. If you're doing something big, say uh, a full head mask mold, mm -hmm. you don't have to cut it up into pieces and reassemble it after sure. it's been printed and then and then do that that body shop work on it to, to smooth the seams and and make it pristine sure but okay. on that note if you I Landon's molds Landon's printed on on a filament printer and from normal viewing distance somebody wearing one of the masks made using a filament printed mold mm -hmm. If you, you get right up on it, you can you, you can kind of see the striations, but from a normal viewing distance, you can't tell. Mm. They're absolutely astonishing. Amazing. It's pretty impressive, isn't it? <laughs> what you can do. Yeah. Did yeah, you see... Well, um, La Landon, Landon's quite a talent. Yeah. I, well, they're outstanding. I mean, the sculpts, regardless of how they're made, they're yeah. outstanding. I mean, they're beautiful stuff. Um, have you seen the uh, the pictures of the kazoo? He's printed a jacket for a silicon mold. Um, yes, which was all, again, absolutely. Just the whole he's thing was he's actually going to be doing a he's going to be doing a a more detailed write up of what what he was doing and how he how it all came came to be, which I'm I'm looking forward to. Amazing, getting a getting a hold of that because it's quite nice. Yeah, no, it's quite impressive. Yeah, I'll I'll put a link to some of the pictures on that because that was outstanding. Very lightweight. Yeah, well, lightweight, but also reproducible. And, um, uh, you know, uh, it, it, it's interesting how it's changing it, a lot of things. But it's also, you know, it's still useful to have a practical skill in it because you understand what it saves you, you know, rather than uh, mm -hmm. doing it for the sake of doing it. it, it it's always interesting. Like I remember worked on um, 47 Ronin and the whole digital department there that were designing things they weren't sculptors so much you know what I mean they were, they were from the visual effects department and you could tell when you saw their creature designs that they weren't like dismantling computers and <laughs> and it it kind of showed in the style so I think it's very much how to create in different mediums and this is another medium for them to learn rather than you know it doesn't become a different job just because the tool's different I think that's a very important thing to kind of uh, remind people rather than focusing too much on the computer and then it stops being about the creature side of things i'll stop yapping uh, i know you've got stuff to get on with so uh, we'll go straight over to listen to to the chris dombos interview and i will catch up with you very soon todd all right Stuart. merry christmas thanks man Talk merry christmas dan have a good one i'll try and speak to you after christmas i guess i'm flying back on the 28th so so we so we could so we could possibly do something um after Christmas. So I'd love to try to get together and, and do a little bit more recording before I head back. Okay. Alrighty, dude. Feel better. Feel better. All right, dude. Have a get good healthy. one. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers, man. All right, mate. Have a good one. Have a good night. Okay. How's it going? My name's Chris Dombos. I'm a Los Angeles-based special effects artist um, and uh, 3D prototyper. And I'm currently in the middle of London, England, uh, core of, by Barron's Court, in the middle of like a medieval Gothic cemetery, doing a podcast with my friend Stuart Bray, and uh, we're having a good time and uh, kind of kicking it with a bunch of corpses and uh, people going to work. So uh, not too bad for Tuesday before catching your flight to LA. Uh, so good fun, and I uh, hope you guys enjoy the podcast that we did. Um, basically, we talk a lot about 3D printing and what 3D printing means to practical. That's kind of what my, my field is. I started out in practical effects, 
worked for many of the shops in Los Angeles and abroad. Um, I've worked in China, I've worked in India, I've worked in Canada, and uh, basically doing mainly prosthetics. And a lot of it now is taking 3D technology that I know in ZBrush and doing stuff that I've done for collectible companies and applying it with some VFX knowledge to practical effects. And that's kind of what the podcast is about, is an intro of how to get into this. Don't let it scare you. It's not too bad. Give it a try. I highly urge it. And uh, thank you guys again. Hope you enjoy the podcast. Oh, my gosh. So here we are. We're in a, in a cemetery. <laughs> it worked out. We, we tried a coffee shop. The coffee shop was too much background noise. And we found a little cemetery off of Barron's Court, which is stunningly beautiful, I will say. It's by far the most medieval-ish cemetery I've seen. It's with, cool, like hand-carved it? stones. And it's really surreally beautiful it's like walking out of a bernie wrightson painting i could see a zombie coming out of the grave in the cemetery like no other which gives me an idea next time i come back for london i think okay we do something what we could do i'll probably get some photos of some of these because the gravestones are like crazy angles a little bit they are yeah they've been there that long long exactly like the, the, the earth has moved since they've been put there um you know and some of these it must be i mean i'm gonna read some of the dates on them but they go back away yeah they do I mean, you're looking probably 1800s for most of these things to 16th on some. So, I, I think I collared you for this because of your 3D printing experience. Yeah. <laughs> but also, the first time we properly met was in LA. We IMAX, did, yeah, we did. Yeah. And it was over the, the Lost Boys stuff. It was actually, yeah. Because I was well, interested yeah. in that. And then you said, oh no, I got some of those. Models. I was like, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, <laughs> so, so I collect, yeah, so a, a bit of background. I'm an LA based effects artist. And I've always been interested as a collector ever since I was a kid. I collected comic books, I collected baseball cards, we collected comic book type cards, we collected comic art when it was actually affordable. Uh, we had this guy literally down the street from where I lived in a little town called Ravenna, Ohio, where I was born. And there was a big comic art guy, his name was Romita Man, and he collects a lot of Bernie Wrights and stuff. And when I was 16, I bought a piece for him for I think it was three hundred dollars, which was like like an original pen thing. And so over the years, I bought more of them, and then now these things sell for in the thousands. And so, props were kind of the same thing. When I made some money, instead of I always try to invest it back in the company with, with more machines and new techs and life and traveling and other things. But then I also was really into props, and a lot of these auctions came up over a couple of years where Rick Baker would do this massive crazy auction, which no one ever had access to any of that stuff before. Then Greg Canham did one. Before that, Gary Tunacliffe closed his shop. Matthew Mungo closed his shop. So all these like dignitaries and even Kevin Yeager is selling props now. I mean, it's for the first time as a kid that grew up on this stuff, you could actually own something from some of these films. It was a chance I couldn't pass up. The weirdest thing, the molds were never that bad. Even the American Werewolf molds that I bought from the original Rick auction were not that expensive for like the back transformation stuff and yeah, the rest yeah. of the stuff kind of went way up. Uh, but the molds, I got lucky. My, my friend Aaron was gifted the David mold. Uh, from Greg Canham directly, and then Greg put up two for auction, uh, which was Dwayne and um, uh, Paul Brooke McCarter's uh, character. And so I bought those two, and then I bought their head cast, where you know Dwayne basically gets like arrowed in the chest, and they did a different yeah. head cast for the mouth open and stuff like that. And Paul gets melted, you know, in the styrofoam bath. I own that actual head mold. They ran the styrofoam head to get melted out of, and then. Um, I don't know some of the contacts and a few other things. And then after that, Greg Canham found. Uh, Alex Winter's uh, makeup as well and uh, they thought it was a random prop and he ended up gifting it to me for my birthday one year. Wow. Really crazy, yeah. That's so awesome. So I owned three of them, yeah. And then Aaron gave me the David copy and I got to give her copies for the rest of them. Yeah. It's amazing. I actually interviewed Aaron uh, just over a week ago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we were in town and saw him in Birmingham for a quick, quick trip and then 
Uh, it was her birthday and everything else in general, and I know they they finally had some time because they were both off on different coasts shooting you know, different shows at the time. So yeah, yeah. her and Mike, I think, had a really good time. It's amazing. And she had some pieces she showed me, like uh, some pieces from Thriller. Yeah, some original Thriller she pieces. She does, yeah. Like, oh, my God. It's just like holding, like, the cheering shroud. It was yeah. just, oh, my God, this is amazing. Because it's, it's the stuff you see. I mean, you guys have the prop store here in London, and... Um, uh, they're friends of mine actually because I bought a lot of stuff of them over the years I think and uh, so I got to do a private tour and um, in there you see the original King suit from Aliens where he gets the face hugger bam and it's there in the flesh restored to perfection and it looks stunning and then they had some background suits in Alien you know that has this weird piping stuff that you could tell was all done by hand there's no machines there's no 3D printers there was technicians doing this stuff in the 1970s late 1970s and it's stunning still like I was like, I gotta come back and take photos of this when it comes up for auctions. It's too good. Because it's a character design when you design suits now that they, they kind of lack some of that mm. kind of hand touch stuff. And, you know, I, I think it, it, it's a sacrificial thing to the design that you don't get to do the things you really want to do. It ends up being really generic. And I feel that's a, that's a problem and starting to come back again. It's just there's so much out there, it's going back to the generic design. Yeah, I, I think as well, like the, the process can inform the design. Like when you look at manufacturing, yeah, very much so. You know, from like the Stone Age, the Iron Age, or whatever, anything where making happens, the new process kind of informs because now suddenly you might be able to do something in one piece, whereas before you had to do it in a series. Sir, exactly, yeah. So it kind of changes the style, but I guess. This is why, you know, with the 3D printing thing, I guess it's, it's still quite in its infancy. It is, so, yeah. you know, we're still figuring out how to fit into the workflow and people are going to kind that. of do the thing they always did Cause with it's the what new thing safe rather than the new thing with the new thing. <laughs> Very much so, because it's it's, it's, I think it's going back to what's safe and what they know works and they're afraid to try to push the, the tech a little bit because yeah. they don't have time. I mean, everything nowadays, deadlines are getting ramped up. You're never having the design time you used to have back in the 90s. And I mean, it's, and, and they also didn't have a ton of time either on a lot of these things. Like Predator was a very short suit. Um, when Stan Winston got it, I remember, and I remember hearing the story about that. Wasp Boys, I don't think they had a ton of time on when they did it. And they ended up being these iconic, amazing makeups and beautiful films. And nowadays I've seen something like Pacific Rim 2 and I'm like, oh, wish I didn't. You yeah, know, and yeah. it's, it, it's just really bad designs. It's the same stuff you see over and over again. Um, where the first film, I think when Del Toro was involved, you see these beautiful elaborate suits and what they did with 3D printing and other things like that back then. You're like, why, why was that then years earlier and why is it not as good now? And it, it's kind of a thing where like generics come into play a lot. And a lot of people that are 3D artists, they take generic designs over and over and things you see a lot. So video game designers and things like that might design something a certain look, but now robots to me all look the same. It's, there are very few guys kind of pushing that to the next step, but there are all of those guys that are developing that and doing that. So you're gonna see these really amazing new stuff from different designers as the tech kind of keeps going. You know? I think a fluency in it, like generally will help. I mean, as these things become more user-friendly, then more people, there'd be lower, lower barrier to entry, basically, what I'm saying. Yeah. So when more people do it, like photography, you know. Yeah, very much so, You get amazing so, yeah. photograph, you know, photographs from great photographers. Now everyone can take a photo. So consequently, the amount of amazing photos has gone up is, dramatically is and exponentially. So yeah. now suddenly those great photographers, you've got to be really fucking good. Good, yeah. To be actually, a good photographer now because so many people. That's exactly know, it. I mean, just with an iPhone camera now, I mean, the, the, the tech is there now, almost anyone can do a very good photo with layers and things like that. The mm -hmm. photographers would have to line up the shot, the lighting would be perfect, and you can mimic that stuff now. 3D is very much similar to that, where 3D design, 
there's so many changes that happen in iteration for a character or for a concept piece. And the 2D stuff, directors don't want to see that anymore. They want to walk around things now. Sure. And you can't build, you're, say you're doing like the, the Dennis villain who's going to do Dune. You want to make a sandworm. So no, I was talking no, 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 to my friend Gio about this last night. You want to be able to, like, in, there's a program called Oculus Medium. It's like a, a tangible sculpting thing in VR that's coming right. out. So it's kind of like ZBrush for VR that Oculus is pushing. And it's getting better and better. It's still in its infancy. You know, they're still learning. They have a move tool that just got added, which makes things so much easier. Because mm -hmm. uh, before, you had to plan out your sculpture. Like, you were actually going to do a practical piece in a sense. But there's a tangibility to it that you don't have with ZBrush that... A lot of sculptors that have never done digital sculpture are kind of gravitating to that now because they, they like the concept of I can still practically use my hands and actually see what I'm doing and sculpt something. Where in ZBrush, you kind of have to have the, the little foresight to see what you're doing sure. and know it's going to get there in the end, but it takes a little bit of, you know, adverse thinking or, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of over to, the hump to get through. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's getting exactly. through the hump of it, isn't it? Because yeah. otherwise, if you can't see it, it's kind of like... You lose faith. You do, yeah. And you get discouraged and you're like, it's not going where I want to go with it. And you're struggling at it. And you're like, I can, you know, fuck it. I can just sculpt this in actual clay. What am I doing this digitally for? Mm -hmm. um, but nowadays with directors and stuff, the designs are so important and they make so many changes. Digital is so much faster for that. It is. It just it is. And it, it's that thing where that's kind of what's kind of replacing, I think, practical sculpture because a lot of companies that used to do maquettes, like in, say, in Marvel Visual Ed Department, I talked to a friend of mine there recently and done some work for them in the past. They don't do any practical sculpture anymore at all. As of two years ago, it's 100% 3D model digital. That's it. Even the stuff they're making for displays, 100% 3D sculpted, 3D printed, made practical. they ZBrush for that? They use ZBrush often, yeah. And it, it, ZBrush is kind of this thing that you know, is this mythical thing program that well, everyone uses this why and how. There were a lot of 3D, you know, programs when ZBrush came out. There was Lightwave, there was Maya, there was 3DS Max, you had Cinema 4D, and anyone who's a digital guy knows most of these programs because they were built in the pipeline of what they did. But then you had certain companies that the renderer was different, like RenderMan was one pipeline, and you had KeyShot starting to come out, and that was another pipeline. Um, and then you had this thing called ZBrush that was kind of like Mudbox and Lightwave at the time. They were all 3D modeling programs. But the weird thing about ZBrush is they listened to the people doing it. And it was also the cheapest. You could buy ZBrush and they updated. I don't know how they do this. I think Jaime and the guys that, that run Pixelogic that make ZBrush, they're like the saints of the 3D world. No one charges like, like gives you an update for free now in 3D yeah. programs. They charge you either monthly now which is a nightmare because you can't buy it as a one-time fee or they'll charge you such an exorbitant amount as a one-time fee. You have to do it monthly, yeah. which you end up paying six times what the program cost. Or ZBrush, you buy it once and you get all the updates for free. Yeah. No, I mean, and, and it is a good program. I mean, I was thinking about this with like a lot of CAD stuff, like all the CAD programs. I mean, I mentioned this yeah. too. They're so expensive. They are, and exactly, it's like that, yeah. The, the CAD stuff, I guess, because it comes from an engineering background. And they hasn't caught up it. with the... They haven't yeah. gotten their head around the fact that Joe Public is going to want to make something exactly. for his microwave. Yeah. And I, I saw something the other day on Facebook, like someone's dad, their microwave, their little spindle that yeah. holds the plate broke. So he made one in like an hour from yeah. it breaking to put so the new one this, in. Yeah. And it was like, that's going to drive Because you can't it. buy that part. Like if you try to buy a part like that, it would drive you crazy just trying to track it down. They would tell you buy a new microwave. Yeah. You know, and, and that's the thing I think where 
the standard people that want to get into 3D, it's it's kind of a niche in a sense. It's like you see people that want to make things in Makers. Makers kind of a whole community effort thing kind of coming back. People want to become craftsmen again. They want to start making things. All around the world, these crafts have died out over the last 30 years to globalization and outsourcing in every single field of the arts is starting to come back. I just read something on the plane uh, coming back the other day uh, from Madrid and the whole thing was literally a whole article on Florence, how Florence is rebuilding its artisans. It, the whole community is starting to come back and people want this bespoke stuff. Well, people are now interested to make stuff and nowadays, instead of the secret thing, you had to go to engineering school to learn 3D design, you could buy a Gumroad tutorial or look at something on YouTube now for free on how to actually get into this stuff. So any general person with any interest in a minor bit of 3D, like you would have to like learn how to use a smartphone, they're learning the programs now much more simply. And the programs also, the software is becoming much more intuitive, much more streamlined. They're all starting to design themselves in the same format. Like Moto is a big one that for people that use ZBrush that want to animate, you can now pipe your ZBrush model into Maya, into Moto, into 3ds Max. They have a bridge now for rendering called the Keyshot Bridge, which is insanely amazing. You used to have to like plug in your render and change all these things, and these lighting things. Now you literally hit one button and it renders this insane perfect thing and you're like, this is amazing. There's a whole bunch of stuff yeah. I don't have to do now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're like, this saves me like hours and days and like, this is the best thing ever. There's a, a thing in ZBrush that when you're, you're slicing a model, like for engineering, like say you do a maquette and your 3D printer can only do a quarter of it. And so now you gotta figure out how the hell am I gonna make this thing? And the, the idea is, well, I'll cut it into sections or quadrants or do something like that. But then I wanted to fit back together so I had keys to it, like we, we do keys and effects. And, but you have to digitally add them. And how do you do that? And how do you get the model to fit together? And then ZBrush, just in the last iteration, had this thing called the Boolean cut a couple iterations back. And literally, you can slice the model perfectly, and it automatically aligns because it's exactly where you sliced it. There's no like guesswork. You don't have to go back and add things in, which you always used to have to do. And it's so intuitive now. It's amazing. And you know, programs like Mesh Mixer for 3D printing are out there as well. And they're getting better and better. I mean, that's that's the technology. It's becoming, instead of having to fight to get this into your pipeline to do something, it's becoming much more intuitive. It's a smart thing to do in your tool set. And it's not replacing practical. It's not going on that mindset of, you know, in the Jurassic Park days and people saw it and they were like, we're screwed, we're fucked, we're totally, that's it, we're out of jobs, that's it. <laughs> get it while you can, you know, it's it's not like that anymore. It's, um. It, it's really becoming something that you add to your toolbox. It's not replacing anything. It's just becoming another tool set. Really. I think that's probably the <clears throat> the biggest thing is, is is getting people to use it because I think at the moment it's still so relative. I mean, I know anyone who's interested in three D printing or digital sculpting will say, "Well, it's not." Much. But relatively speaking, in the world, like clay's been there for fucking centuries. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. it is. There are still a lot of people that don't. I mean, I, I've been to makeup schools where I, I talk about three D printing, and they don't even. A, maybe you've never heard of it, yeah. or B, have no idea that it affects what they do. And yeah, go, exactly. Well, it kind of is. And I'm personally guilty of not being that familiar with how to do it because I just haven't, which is where we'll it, go with It these, takes time in the thing, I think. Podcasts. Yeah, it's it, it's one of those things. I I've, I've saw a lot of guys on, on, on this trip to, to Europe at the time, and um, a lot of people are interested in it. They just don't really know a bunch about it, but they know that it can help them in different areas. But there's not many texts that they trust to go to a lot of this stuff. And I think that's a problem worldwide where there are texts coming up and becoming digital. Uh, 
the practical sculpture is there. It's never gone away. But there are few art, like schools that actually teach it. You have to want to go do it on your own. Um, and it's just time. It, it, to get really good at sculpture, you have to practically practice. And digital, it's the exact same way. You have to want to learn. You have to make the time for it. The hardest thing is, is if you're doing these other stuff, it's really hard to make the time for it. So the skinny of it is there a fast track way to do it? Yeah, a little bit at a time. But you've got to make it a priority to do it. Well, you have to you have to make it a want. Like I want to learn this program, and uh, there's a lot of practical sculptors that are getting into this. David Grasso being one. Norm Cabrera did an amazing Eddie Quist from Howling recently, and then Steve Wang's like, oh, I'm gonna mess around with it, and I'm like, you guys are all assholes, <laughs> like because it's insanely good. Yeah. Like whether but they, they know it or not, sculpt, so it's but they can always sculpt, and it's just getting into the iteration of I can do this as well, and yeah. I want to do this, and because this is becoming a thing. We have to do this now. Is really what it's coming down to. Yeah, I mean, I I, I messed around with it a bit. There was a, a, a really nice chap called Wayne Humphrey who helped me out a lot and showed me some stuff. And he's, you know, we spent like a weekend and he took me through ZBrush. It was amazing to have someone to sh to, to to knock down those barriers. I like, I don't understand that. And then yeah, like, oh, it's fine. And you go, oh, actually, it's not that difficult. <clears throat> but it's just getting used to the interface. But once you get used to the interface, what I found was it because it speeds things up and actually reveals your lack of sculpting ability because now you don't have the weight of the clay yeah, or the armature else. as yeah, an exactly. excuse anymore. Yeah, it's you, true. You, you can suddenly go, oh, you know, in five minutes you block this thing out that's a figure and you go, shit, I don't really know what a shoulder looks like. And you find that out much sooner with ZBrush. So in a way, it kind of, I found it actually helps you become a better sculptor if you are willing to address those, those issues. And, stuff, yeah. and that's got nothing to do with digital. No, not at all. That's a practical sculpting thing. Where, where That's a thing where most people, I was talking to a friend of mine who's a modeler. It, it used to be at ILM for many, many years, a guy named Gio Napco, and he's the one heading up the Oculus Medium program, which is the VR sculpting I talked about. And we had a meeting at MPC uh, yesterday and we're talking with a couple other really talented British sculptors, a guy named Dan Ketchum, and a few other guys in hindsight. And it, it's one of these things of talking about when they teach classes, because a, a lot of sculptors tend to teach classes in the, in the interim and stuff. Well, not really teaching a ZBrush class, but teaching like an art class for form. Like, yeah. instead of teaching you all the trips, like tips and tricks that you know ZBrush is, which are shortcuts and things like that, that comes with time, it's just a technical thing. And, but you really do need to know actual sculpture. You need to know anatomy. And if you don't, your sculpture is gonna look like absolute junk. Your form is terrible. I, you see always the problem in practical effects. All these new kids that wanna get into sculpture, they detail, 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 detail it, but the form is awful. Yeah. And it doesn't look and like And when you're a sculptor, the first thing you spot is the form. Form, you know, exactly, yeah. To, you know. Because you see the world in 3D where a lot of people don't. And that's, I think, where the same thing is where you're actually seeing it come into tactile nature. This is where 3D printing comes in. Guys who do ZBrush see the world in a 3D, like, like anyone else. More so than, than, than a typical layperson because they're dealing with it all day. But they also want to take their digital creation they make and their turnaround. You can walk around in VR your monster you created and see the scale of like a Godzilla or King Kong or Sandworm from Doom, that's pretty cool. When you get a director putting on a VR glass and doing that, there's something amazing. You see the look on their face even through the glasses like an awe and wonder and that's where it's going is that yeah. awe and wonder kind of thing. But 3D printing is now taking that into the tactile range where now anyone who likes sculpture or appreciates art can also appreciate that. Yeah. And it's yeah. an additive process rather it is, than, yeah. you know, you haven't got a, you know, a dumpster full of, you know, mold shells. And no, things. exactly. And in yeah. a world where, especially in this country, where it's increasingly expensive, expensive. to dispose of in a landfill, yeah. you know, there's a, there is a downward pressure on, on, on 
processes where there's a lot of waste. Exactly. Whereas, and it's you know, and it changes that where there's certain things in sculpture you can actually do in ZBrush and 3D print that you literally do not want to mold. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the helmets from say companies like Ironhead, they do a lot of 3D scanning, a lot of 3D printing. The Loki helmet 3D printed, the Thanos helmet 3D printed. <laughs> uh, many of their parts are all 3D designed, 3D printed, then body shopped insanely well to high artistic standards high-end painted, high-end finished, but all 3D designed, 3D printed. And a lot of that goes into why make a mold on something you can do it this way. It, yeah. it does save you time. When you add in the cost of a lot of this, it is getting cheaper and cheaper with every iteration. 3D scanning is getting cheaper and cheaper. When you life cast someone, it's a very invasive thing. A lot, and I mean, I, I'm sure I'm gonna get some flack from that, but a lot of actors don't want it. They don't want to be body cast. It's an all-day process. We all know that it was all, we've done it, but then you can mill stuff out of foam now. And it used to be, well, we have to do so much work to add it back. The machines now are getting so much more high res and high depth. And you know that's only going to increase. And it's going to get better and better and better, and it's doing that. So now instead of like the amount of money you pay for a body cast just in your crew of three to four people to be there, the material, the silicone, a material of the day, the whole day of the actor's time to be there, because that time is not cheap. Your time is cheap as labor compared to what the actor is getting paid for the day to go do this. Now you actually can scan them in a matter of five minutes. The production now for what they'll save on the actor's time and what the you actually... The accuracy of their body not exactly. compromised by the weight of the casting material. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> or, or having to repeat it or redo it because they moved or they twitched or they did something different. And this or they're this so new. agoraphobic, I mean, yeah. I remember uh, um, on Fred Claus I saw... Um, uh, you know, uh, Paul Giamatti's body, yeah. and that had been scanned. You know, he had his eyes open yeah. and everything, and that was you know ten years. Ago. Yeah, I mean, so this is so, a, so the tech new. is the tech has been out for a bit. I mean, in LA, the the first company that was doing three D scan I heard of was a company called Gentle Giant. They're owned now by three D Systems, um, and there was one company that kind of went away. Ironhead actually has one of their scanners. It actually they they bought it. Jose bought it, and it's you see in these videos, it's a laser scanner that goes up and down. And then it goes into the techniques, scanning techniques have changed. It used to be laser was the best. There's a lot of cleanup that you have to do with laser scans versus photogrammetry now, which you, any layperson can do on a software package and a DSLR camera. And if you have multiple DSLRs now, you can do insane things you couldn't do with laser scans. I've scanning. seen that on, on Game of Thrones. Like full-on like, jumps, kicks, yeah, like and all kinds of stuff. 100 yeah. D7s, and yeah. all lined up. Yeah. It's just like, wow. And it's in seconds. Like, you, you can get multiple action poses that they can scan out and use those as actual VFX assets now, mm -hmm. which is insane because the, the high resolution of that stuff, it's nuts now. It really is. It's, it, there's no reason not to add this into your pipeline. Mm -hmm. Is a big effects company, especially when you're doing something like that for weird open mouth poses and things like that. You can scan and 3D print something nowadays or even mill it out of, you know, um, earth and foam to get a higher resolution and start your sculpture on that instead of like having to try to do an open eye, open mouth life cast, which who, anyone who's ever done one knows that it's tricky. Yeah, so you, <laughs> you can know, send that so off to the visual effects can start yeah, working exactly. on it. Yeah, exactly. Practical guys can start at the same exact the same time asset. and all from the same time. So as your deadlines get ramped up, you're actually now saving loads of time and time as we know in, in production is money always i think i think the thing is that as well that 
there's got to be more join up thinking in this as well because I yeah. think at the moment you you still have that residual there's a practical world and there's, and there's a, digital a digital world, world yeah. I think and everyone's got a phone in their pocket no one would think of getting a quill out and writing yeah. a letter on a piece of parchment exactly and posting anymore. it by owl yeah. you would just send an email to somebody so we're all kind of integrating digital into the world I think it's just the case of making it making people not frightened of it and I include myself in yeah it. You know, well, it's by familiarity. It is. It, I think the thing with the the digital stuff is still that keyword of this thing. A lot of effects you see in film now are hybrid effects. Uh, Barry, Game of Thrones. You can all look at the prosthetic magazine of how they break things down. Everyone's like, what are these little green spots and green dots and things like that? The Pale Man from um, Pan's Labyrinth is the exact same thing. Ari Tudelin and Ari Turo actually sculpted it for DDT. And you look at it and you're like Doug Jones in a suit, similar leg prosthetics as you see in like the white from the last season of Game of Thrones and hopefully you guys all seen that and I'm not ruining Game of Thrones like I did for another friend's wife recently uh, by the ice dragon getting stabbed and Geo it's a shot to your wife and so sorry about that again um, but uh, I'll make it up um, but but it's that kind of thing where you're seeing these you know green lake prosthetics and no one knew what that was and what's well, so you're digitally removing parts of the sculpture now to make them look a certain way um, you see this on mocap dummies and things like that and it's becoming more and more used. Well, it's always been done. Practical and hybrid effects have been done before. There's certain things you could do practically. That's how I know it's like to be on set. You know, it's quiet on set. Um, we're in a park, by the way, in a cemetery. So if you see anyone rolling handbags, it's people going to work and actually going about their days. We're sitting <laughs> on a park bench talking about makeup effects and 3D printing, which is actually really fun, actually. It's pretty amazing. Um, but it, all right, so going back to, to all this stuff, and cut that out, whatever. But, but it's seeing VFX and actually VFX being used as a hybrid approach. Well, that hybrid approach now happens more often. Yeah. You saw, you know, the, the terror of the thing where ADI doing these amazing effects and they post the videos and you're like, well, that wasn't in the film. And then you see like, you know, Image Engine, who's the VFX company in Canada doing it. And you're like, well, they painted over everything terribly. And if you knew what visual effects and, and VFX looked like at the time doing that, I knew this happened and I'm like, it looks awful, you know, and then, it, but it doesn't fit the end of the film or the end of the product. And, and that's the whole thing is when you're on a film or any kind of set, you're part of a team. There's no I in team. It's not my one department is going to save the damn film. It's we all work together to create a really cohesive thing. And if we all do that and we do our jobs very well, we get this beautiful thing that comes out at the end of it visually, which for the, the practical effects and the VFX department, that's really all that matters. I think this is the thing that's new is that like in the, in the, back in the day, like if somebody made the nose and stick it on, then it's basically it's possible for one person to make the nose and apply it yeah. and then the actor brings it to life and then it's lit and it does everything you get a lot of stuff for free you do very much so yeah because it's because a real the thing actor, the actor emoting and doing everything else like that whereas this is more of a team it effort. is yeah. and I think that's probably one of the biggest things people are going to have to get their head around is the fact that now a nose on somebody might be the result of maybe 20 people exactly working together yeah. so 20 people need to understand how they fit together and you get the department heads really having that conversation and saying the practical department head saying or designer we can do this we need your help with this to the vfx and hey the vfx we really want to do this character what's a good one we can take without taking away from what you might be able to do practically or maybe we just team up on most of it yeah and and we both benefit from doing some really groundbreaking work and a lot of people i'm sure are going to have that adverse argument to it but the whole reality is you never know till you talk to the department head and they don't bite <laughs> and if they're jerks well then they're jerks and then talk to the ad and be like we got to work on this because the whole idea is you want to actually have something that's actually an amazing product in the end. Yeah. And 
it, we all have to work together. Digital and practically, it, it is. It, it's becoming part of the things. Because digital guys like practical work as well. They want to see tangible work. They don't want to have to CG things they don't have to. No. So it's a case of, of, of making practical what needs to be practical. Exactly. And then simulate from a practical point of view. Yeah. Making it digital, digital where it's impractical practical to do it. To do it. Exactly. And there are a lot of things like that you see. Um, there was a time recently on a, a film called Rampage, and a lot of scenic sculptors I knew that do a lot of foam carving and stuff worked on it. And the whole movie basically is like big giant animals come to life and wreck the whole city. And so they sculpted a field, like football fields worth of broken buildings and everything like that. Where normally you would do a section of it and then the digital department would come in and VFX and basically say, we'll add that back in. And in this film, they said, no, we want it the other way around. And even the practical sculptors were like, you know, this is really impractical. Like, there's so many other things we could actually do to aid your film instead of this. But they still did it anyway. And then the VFX guys were like, how, how was that, guys? And they were like, yeah, it should have been done. But it's the whole argument around, like, when you don't get the option to say no, the practical guys are like, you took work away from us. And the digital guys are like, we didn't really want to. It's just what they gave us. So it's that, that kind of thing of where you're trying to find that fine line of doing the best work you can practically or digitally and making it look cohesive at the end which is still the trick sure. you know it's tricking the eye and that illusion that we want but it's understand i think i think that's the thing is it, it's, it's uh it behoves the people who do it practically to be aware of where the digital comes in so basically just educate it is yeah on, very much so it works yeah i mean because there's there's certain things like you know that are going to become digital like if you're taking away someone's nose on a person you better either have an actor that doesn't have that which is really rare or you're going to digitally green screen it out and take it out. If you want to hollow out someone, you get the skinniest person you find, you want even more hollow, you're physically not going to be able to do that. Yeah. If you want to make someone's legs look, you know, certain locked or different, maybe on a werewolf stance, and you want the kneecap differently, you know you're not going to be able to do that practically. You can but make it look Practically, you may have like an edge, edge or you something. put on or something. Yeah, together, that's great, and then when they move, yeah. we've got the we edge. we got the edge, and it looks so exactly. green. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Like, you're basically then adding to the digital department, like, we're going to make this really easy for you. So you don't have to digitally do the whole makeup. Okay. Um, and, it's, and it's working and kind of knowing where you can do that in. And similar to 3D printing and, and 3D design, there's certain things that are being done 3D that trying to sculpt a hard surface helmet is really difficult, but it's really fast in ZBrush. Yes. And you can body shop it quicker than you can sculpt it. Why not 3D print that? Yeah, it makes yeah. it makes logical sense. I think a lot of it is the, is the nostalgia for it as well. And I feel no, that it myself. Is, yeah. but I think I think if you were to give something, if you could like magically give someone all the knowledge they need and the printer and the laptop. Oh yeah, it'll be a no-brainer. Yeah. At the end of the week, they'd be like, Jesus Christ, why would I? Like, like in the same way, like if I'm, you know, I could walk from here to Manchester. Yeah. That cars exist. Yeah, exactly. And even if and you the really like walking, and you know, everything. Yeah. You're not going <laughs> to do it. You need to get there yeah. quicker. Just drive. If you can take the escalator to the <laughs> elevator, 90% of the people are going to take the quicker way around it. They're not going to want to climb nine sets of stairs. You know. Um, and it's just the reality for it. You don't want to make more work for yourself. You have because life is precious. Time is precious. Most of us. You know, you have families or friends that you want to go out and actually have a life. You don't want to sit in the workshop 24-7. Not anyone wants to do that. Even though we've done that in most of our careers for, for many people. Um, and that's the trenches, they call it. You, you end up doing a lot of that. Where digital guys do the exact same. It's the same in the digital world. They work all-nighters, overnighters. They have crunches. They have deadlines. It's never the grass is always greener. These guys make so much more money than us because they're doing digital. Well, they're killing themselves 19, 20-hour days. And, 
going blind and basically sitting that carpal tunnel from typing and everyone's like that's ah, all they were not working with toxic chemicals it's like by the end they're all crooked broken up it's still the same end goal you know we all don't want to be that so yeah, you just don't want to use yourself up yeah exactly <laughs> whether it's, <laughs> it's at a keyboard or in a workshop like, yeah so i i guess so i guess the main the the, the way i look at it there were the three things i think i messaged you yeah this are the, the three main areas from so so if this podcast i'm guessing is particularly listened to by people who are into the practical thing so the first question I think everyone because some people won't necessarily know, yeah can you sum up what 3d printing is and I know there's lots of different Methods, processes yeah. that come under that, that yeah very much so. category so so the idea of 3d printing is basically you'd hear the term growing in a shop because a lot of the parts are actually physically grown from a material um, or or things so you literally see a part come to life in that sense you're taking something you design in 3D, full turnaround, you see the object, you see what you want to do, they want to make it practical. And there are a lot of different printers that do this. There's Polyjet Technology, which is owned by a company called Stratasys, they own the patent on it, which does really high fine 16 micron resolution. They have many different materials that you can use. And a good helmet is something going to take about a week to make, give or take. There's FDM or FFF, which is fused filament printing or fused filament um, disposition. And basically what that is, is taking a filament, plastic filament, ABS or PLA, running it through an extruder like a hot glue gun and building up your layer by layer by layer. Concrete printers they do for houses are very similar to the same technology. Silicone printers are very similar to the same technology. Then you have another method called SLA or stereolithography that's been around for quite a long time. It's probably one of the oldest methods of 3D printing actually. Uh, and it's one of the highest resolutions. A lot of it's basically using a laser to cure a liquid polymer. Uh, nowadays, the material science is getting really good. You can do things like high temp materials. They're Celsius, you know, in Celsius, 100 degrees heat resistant. And basically, you're getting space age polymers at this point. So you can actually now print molds at a very high resolution that run foam latex in, they're thin, strong, you don't have to mold make it, you don't got to fight an edge, you can digitally design this stuff now. And it's it's interesting, it's now starting to have an, a place in a practical world, but doing it all digitally and doing it all by yourself, and it's really interesting. Because a lot of guys who know how to sculpt might not be a mold maker, they might not be a but they so might know how to barrier to them getting a thing made. Yeah, exactly. Where so. you're having to like fight on a project to be like, I gotta fly this person in. I don't know how logistically I'm gonna do it. Where if you add this to your workshop, you might be able to take out that what if factor. And if you know the technology, you might actually have another problem, another less headache solved. Okay. Where you can actually help yourself in the, the better end of it. Um, but it's not an end all be all thing. Everyone says 3D prints need work. That's yes and no. I guess that would change over time. <laughs> it is. Is the material and the machines are getting better, that's becoming less and less. Granted, there's still a bit of pro processing. You're literally washing off supports now, putting them in lye baths for, say, polyjet to dissolve away the, like, fat-based 3 support that you did. For, like, an SLA machine, you might have to clean off supports. You're adrenaline sanding a little bit. But you're talking cleanup that literally takes you sometimes seconds sometimes hours, sometimes days. Uh, FDM prints, you might have to acetone bath them at their ABS, or there's an alcohol PLA I saw in Spain recently, uh, my friend Arturo had. It really kind of got me thinking of, I was the guy that I hate FDM printing, like, because I think it's absolute garbage. Um, because it never gives you 
what you want. And FDM is? FDM is like the filament base, so either ABS or PLA filament. Because there's always print lines, there's always sanding, there's always body shopping. And for someone who hates sanding PLA, yeah. it's literally my worst nightmare. Anytime but for I get some part, things, it might be like if you were making things, a replacement actually, part or yeah, a jacket or something. It's, yeah, so, then it so this is it. Be, so yeah, you. and I'm, I'm talking more about for high-end display bust or high-end micro-pore resolution or like a display head per se, or a really fine piece of armor, you're not gonna wanna do that method of printing. There might be a better one. But for the general around part, or I just need something to like hold up my display cabinet, or I need to make an interior structure to something, and I need to be strong and lightweight, and I wanna make it really cheaply, FDM is not a bad method to use. So it has its place in it. In fact, it's a really fairly good thing. And recently I saw an ear my friend did on a very, printer even fdm printers are upping their resolution something i literally when i looked at it thought it was sla but i'm like this is a weird color and then i realized it's pla that has an like an alcohol solubility paying on if you put it in too much it's going to eat away and you're going to lose the detail but doing it just enough you're literally getting a near perfect part out of it and it's doing it very very cheaply um so i mean it, it is starting to get better every technology is kind of improving you have printers like the Carbon System, which uses a clip technology, which is basically a mix of how materials cure with the UV light, because that's where most of the materials cure, a certain wavelength of UV light. A laser will go around it, cure layer per layer, and build it up bit by bit by bit. And certain printers are what they call top-down, which basically means the printer itself, the, as it goes down, it's building up layer per layer and pulling up. The, the, the standard other ones are just bottom ones, where literally the print's built on the base. And so the, the top actually holds the, the top-down machines actually hold the laser in, so it's curing it from the top down, where the other ones cure from the bottom up. And there's advantages and disadvantages to that because the peel mechanism. So when you say stuff like that, everyone's like, huh, what does that mean? Well, every layer goes, the base and bed platform that you're printing on moves up or down. Mm -hmm. The peel mechanism is basically how well it does that. So that'll actually figure out where certain printers are better than others because they have better peel mechanisms in terms of resolution is really where it goes. So something that has a better peel mechanism for a bigger print, say an SLA, top down is actually still the best. Where like bottom up, when you do a big print, you have to hollow it out. And it goes into this whole other thing of how the hell do we do any of that stuff? Well, young people in general, and everyone, you can learn it on the internet. It's amazing. There are great books on this stuff nowadays. There's I think this is tutorials. the thing. That, that was going to be my next question was how, how you access this how yeah. do you if you're somebody that's hearing all this stuff and it just sounds like greek all garbage yeah like, <laughs> not that greek is garbage but yeah no 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 no, no, no i didn't mean that expression <laughs> many good greek it's a very english yeah, expression it's all greek to me it just because, yeah. um it's it's how do you start because the thing is if, if you're hearing oh my god this is really gonna affect my industry but i didn't understand a word of what you just said how does yeah. somebody start where where is a good place for them to go just to see like I've, I've just come out of a fucking cave. Yeah. Explain to me how, how this works. How, do, how does it? How do what, I? Yeah. Access this. How do I? How do I start? Because obviously all of this stuff sounds very expensive and very complicated. But I'm guessing there must be ways to sort of, you know, get into it on a lower end. Yeah. yeah. So there's there is ZBrush if you just want to do and sculptures. And sculptures. Which is free, by yeah. Way. And and there's Rhino as well that okay. you can get actually. I think there's a free version of Rhino you can get as well. Or really Rhino is, is it's it, another 3D modeling software. Is it, it's, it's not a CAD program so much. It's, it's more of a digital. It's kind of like CAD in a sense, but it is like digital clay in a sense. So like it's kind of like a hybrid, more okay. of a hybrid Rhino is. Um, 
and then you get other ones that you can get as a student. So if you're a student, say, learning this, you can get a student version. Um, so ZBrush would be the one I would consider the gold standalone modeling software nowadays. It, it literally is considered the universal gold standard. Every company you will work for now that does 3D modeling will use ZBrush in a video game industry, in practical world, in pretty much anywhere. In, in our industry for, for effects, if you're listening for practical effects, your character is going to be made in ZBrush. Very few people use Maya and 3ds Max. Do the cost and subscription service now for it. So, 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 so for free sculptress. For free sure. sculptress. Yep. Which, if you just look, I think it's sculptress.com. It I'll is, put all yeah. this in the show notes so people can click on links. Um, and I know that there are some um, web-based uh, 3D. There are, apps, yeah. I mean, like Mud, Mudbox. Yeah, Mudbox is another one that's still very much like ZBrush. So if you want to learn basic 3D modeling, you could use, say, Mudbox to learn ZBrush at the time. And is that an expensive program? It's. I think it's like thirty or forty bucks. Oh US, really? It's maybe. Not, yeah. It's not. It's not very expensive. It's not the seven eight hundred pounds. No. No. Okay. No. Not at all. Um, the books. There's so many tutorial books on it. Most of the ones by Focal Press that are actually doing ZBrush books or Nomen Workshop. You can get intro to ZBrush. Um, there are many good books on it to learn all the way through it. And some of them are older ones. They kind of haven't done a very new, new iteration yet, but they're all, they're, every time they do a new iteration of ZBrush, there's always a new book. And Nomon are good. Nomon's uh, really good, and, yeah. Uh, Plural Site, which used to be digital exactly, tutors, yeah. you know, places like that, because I'm subscribed to that. Because of all the software I use, all the InDesign yeah, and everything, that's how I learned to use yeah. it, was because. You're yeah, seeing the tutorial and doing yeah. this, exactly. And so you are going to have to spend some time not knowing to do this. Like, even though you're most amazing sculptor, guys like Steve Wang and other guys have learned how to do practical sculpture. You follow them on their Instagram, you're seeing them do digital stuff now. It's because they did practice at it and they didn't meddle in it. And they're getting really, really, really good at it very, very fast. Well, what they're getting good at is the software. Well, the software is what the is, but they yeah. doesn't make them... It doesn't make them a better sculptor. So, so in yeah, a way... That's, that's not you, what I was getting at. I meant, I meant they're getting... Yeah, exactly. So let me, let me go back on that. When I say they're getting very, very good at it, they're getting very good at the technical prowess of the program. These are some of the best sculptors in the world. The, what you consider the 1% of the creme de la creme and the top guys have always been that way. They're starting to learn ZBrush now, and what they can do in that program is like what a pro modeler has done very early on, just by learning a couple simple tools, a couple simple brushes, and that's it. Yeah. Hang on, we've got a bunch of kids going past. We'll have to. This is fun, man. <laughs> Hopefully, this is coherent and stuff. I think Sorry, it is. I, it'll be fine. Um, the only thing I, I, I want to make sure we, we, we don't, because it sounds interesting to me, but there are going to be people that don't. Yeah. What is he even talking about? I don't understand. Because um, this is, you know, practical people. And I think I'm trying to kind of ruin people into the idea that there is a thing. There's a there digital world much, that they yeah. need to be familiar with and they don't know it yet. Yeah. But, um, well, because like, easing them in. I don't want to scare everybody off. Because yeah, well, I mean, even Yorin like, realizes there's certain things in scanning and, and milling stuff out. Like, even like, say, you're making a giant dinosaur. Eric and Rob Hillenbrecht, they're going to make a giant T Rex. Like, Stan Winston T-Rex. Yeah, yeah. Well, the whole story of the Stan Winston T-Rex, they had to raise the roof of the building because they couldn't fit it in, right? Yeah. And it's massive. When you have that many pounds of clay, every time they try to mold it, there was so much Roma on it, it would slough off. Every day they put new Roma on it, the sculpture started to slough off its chest. It's just but, not a practical, sustainable yeah, way of doing it. It's a nightmare. You do yeah. it that big. And you can, you can now mill it in the base thing of foam and then add in a very thin layer of clay that's not going to do that. And it ends up being very cost-effective. You know, or mill it out of styrofoam and then hand sculpt it differently, like as a core instead of this massive sculpture, tons of Roma and steel understructure and stuff like that that you'd have anyway nowadays. One of the questions that people always ask, 
is that uh, they're worried that 3D printing and digital stuff is just going to immediately replace everything. And I think that's not th true. Yeah, I think the thing to remember above and beyond anything else. Well, there's two. There's two things. I think one is all the time you're using cameras to capture real footage. Yeah, and you're very using true. Performers who are actually going to be captured by those cameras. Very true. In a studio, and there are lights, and there are other people. There are so many other departments that are affected by this. You're capturing footage. There's still some element of practical, I think. There is always. So there's that. The other thing, and, and that's very true point. with the, like mocap and things like that as well. Yes. When you see, you know the basically anything Andy Serkis is doing from Gollum all the way to Planet of the Apes um, and Caesar's character in that you're seeing these actually practical actors with mocap rigs on their face that are controlling what VFX is doing and how the character remotes they're taking that real performance and blending it in and everyone thinks it's a digital character it's not it's not it's an actor performance with a VFX overlay that is it in the same way that if I stuck a forehead on somebody and the actor makes that forehead move, that's not my work so much. He's moving the forehead. But, but the trick is... So it was never my job to move his forehead. Exactly, you know yeah. I mean? So now it's just a computer rather than... But in that case, it's the performer moving but it is. the digital stuff. But the skill of it is, is you know how to sculpt that forehead to get that kind of movement. It's the same thing digitally. You know how to actually... <laughs> we get problems on the outside. The bird's actually loving us too as well. Um... <laughs> it's a noisy bird for someone so small yeah you think it right it's always the little ones man that are always the biggest target <laughs> um, Napoleon complex and the birds um, but no it's it, it, it's actually taking the skill of actually designing something digitally to not repeat yourself that you could do practically it literally is basically to save you time it's not meant to replace this stuff. It's meant to be a tool in your toolbox, like any sculpting tool. We all have our favorites, but it's becoming a new thing that you embed this into your workflow, and it's something that can actually help you. Because in times nowadays, producers, and if you ever work on a TV show or any kind of film, your time is getting less and less and less, and they want generics now and things you can pull off the shelf. That's becoming an issue of, am I giving the best work possible? If you can do digital stuff now, you might have a little more time to design that the way you actually want while you can do something else. Because the, giving you the method of output is, is different yeah. and it's becoming faster and faster. Yeah. Or if I'm having an issue with it, I can do this while I'm on set and design something while I'm doing a test and have it come back and have it already started to be printed in the workshop You know, by sending them a file to have someone load up. Instead of waiting days and days and days for this stuff to get done, you might be able to already start on something as a test to get an idea and change it quickly digitally to reprint it in a sense. I think that's what people worry about. I think, I think from a selfish point of view myself as well, I think people are worried they want to preserve their creative input. Yeah, And very I think much they're so. worried that the computer will, will take over all this. The tech will yeah. take that away. And I think what you're saying is it's like there's a lot of things that are new things that will be creative. And there'll be other things that are not practical to stay, like sculpting a dinosaur where you've actually got to raise the roof of your building. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's not a practical way to do things. That's really like not. you're still sculpting yeah. a dinosaur. You're just not going to have to get builders in first. Exactly. You know, you're not. Which was never your job. I was never a builder. That's so, exactly it. So yeah, I'm not the architect for the building in hindsight. <laughs> you know, or the permitting in the sense of like, you have a massive crew sculpting something like that, and the amount of the shop owner. Say you're the shop owner, and you get this project, you want to do this. The tool about digital is everyone's like, well, they're costing us jobs and they're costing us this. Everything now is budgetary and it goes back to money. It goes back to time. 
productions want to reel in that. They want to actually stop rampant run costs. Because if they can employ an artist for a year, they'd rather do that and employ 50 of them for a week. They want more time, but budgets get smaller, they get cheaper. Designers, there's many of them now. Big films, if you look at the back of a list, there are thousands of people in a project. When you're a designer and you have a company, you put a bid out, you might not have the most expensive bid and you get awarded the contract. And now you gotta figure out how to make this stuff. You know how to make it. You're confident you can do it. You've done it many times before. But now you have two weeks to do something normally takes you six. How do you get that accomplished? When you're in a country like a friend of mine, you're in, in Sweden's doing Genius 2, and they're doing some amazing, beautiful stuff coming out in this. But he has to find technicians now to come to Stockholm in, in December when shows like Game of Thrones are ramping up. There are other films going on in the UK, Vikings, and many other things going on. And they're hard. It's hard to find technicians to do that. In the States, it's very similar. There's a music video called Famous that they used practical body sculpts to do 13 hyper-realistic bodies for Kanye West. Two different, well, three different shops were involved in it. And you have to figure out in the time you're given how to do this. Well, we know how to do it. We take life cast and we do this and stuff. And there was even talk about doing the heads 3D so they can get time. But then there was no time to do that. And the reality of it was if they actually went with that to start, it would have saved them weeks and weeks of back-end stuff they added onto that project. Yeah. But then it goes in the argument well, who are, you, who are you actually saving? Are you saving the technicians that worked on it? Or are you saving the production that did it? And then it gets into that gray area of that it fucking took our jobs and digital took our jobs. It's not. It, but this is the thing, is, is digital, the, the landscape isn't, I mean, it is, it is, it is there. There is already a, a, a core way of doing things. But I think the thing that's, that people don't really get is that it, it's new enough that new people coming into it can actually influence the landscape. That's exactly you know I mean? it. It's not yeah. a case of you offering yourself up to an existing workflow. It's actually you could you can design the workflow. the workflow. This is exactly it. So you're actually now having a new technology that emerged. When silicone came into effects, like beyond, well even gelatin, like so you had, you had foam latex for years, then you have gelatin come in, and that was a game changer. We can quickly make prosthetics that we know work every time where foam's a little tricky to get right most times. It's one of those things where that was a game changer. Then you had silicone come into the market and then encapsulated gel-filled silicone appliances came into the market. And now you had foam weight, like foam gelatin at the time. Yeah. And now there's silicone foam at the time. Um, it's still tricky. It's not my favorite material. The play. things I'm nudging is but, like, but, I remember. But they're, but they're kind of going into it and they're kind of changing your workflow in the shop. Digital is now starting to add in the workflow into costumes, and it's digitally become integrated. Companies like Legacy have used it for quite a many years now. Yeah. I think they were one of the first shops in, in LA to actually have a 3D printer. Beyond companies like General Giant, who's a statue company basically, they had a 3D scanner because their whole thing is they want to scan actors and be an asset for the film industry. Well, that kind of didn't, it worked for a long time for assets because they would scan stuff for digital domain. And many other VFX companies at the time, but then they scan the actor's likeness instead of so they can re-sculpt it in wax and get the proportions better. Is really what it was meant for for collectibles. But then it became used now. Where we can scan actors now and do life cast on them and do things like that. Um, and it's becoming more worldwide in a sense. A digital file can be done on set. You can do a scan of an actor in China. You can send it to LA to your VFX company that's doing stuff, or Vancouver, or London, or what have you, or to the workshop, 3D printing a torso based off that scan in Beijing in real time. 
Yeah. Instead of flying Waiting. people out. Yeah. Or, or, or can't shipping a heavy well, this, cast. Well, this is exactly it. Like, so those are costs that have got nothing really to do with the creative process. No. They were just burdens, burdens that you to had the, to You had to up. wait through because basically in time, on, on the production, you're waiting on your actor always. To get the life cast done, you have to fly somewhere, fly a life cast in. And you get a life cast done, you fly it into L.A. from, say, London, and it becomes broken. Well, you're shit out of luck. You got to get another cast and sent, wait for customs another week, and say disappears in the mail. You're doing this again, and, and I say this because this happened last year on a friend's project, and it was very frustrating because then the project ended up getting delayed longer on. But by doing that, you're losing weeks of your build time waiting on something to get done. Where if you digitally scan something, the scan data is not going to get erased or go away. I mean, everyone has the fear of well, what happens if your computer crashes? It's saved. You can save it in databases. You can save it on the cloud. You can save it in many places. And then it goes into how you protect that data. It becomes a whole other digital asset in a sense. But VFX companies have done this for quite a long time. How do they protect their digital assets? Well, encryption and things like that. No one's going to hack you to get this guy's digital likeness skull or anything else. Um, at least not that I know of. I don't think that's a high-priority hack you know, at this point. <laughs> yeah, true enough. But it becomes something to think about you know, over time. But it's kind of getting away from the point. It's... Adding something to your workflow to enable you to be more creative without taking away from your budget, your time, your personnel, but adding to it because you might be able to hire two more techs on the money you save on this stuff to give you weeks of time to do your test. It's basically enabling you, hopefully, to make a better product in the end, period. That's the end goal. The highest quality of the stuff out there, that's where I see 3D becoming into effects. Not that it's dumbing down the design, it's taking away from it. It's just another tool in the toolbox, plain and simple. And if you know it, you're becoming way more versatile because that language is becoming worldwide now. And that's something to kind of play into the effect. I think that's the thing, isn't it? It's, it's, it from the outside, it may seem all very confusing, but I think the point is you have to educate yourself about it if you want to do this stuff because it's kind of here to stay and it can and you can enjoy using yeah, it. Exactly, it's just getting yeah. past that hump it is. of the learning curve, the initial and, breaking and it, through that seal. And it, it, and it is very basic. It goes into start something small and ramp up like you would do anything. Yeah. You know, you're not going to learn everything overnight. You're not going to be the end-all, be-all. But try it. Add it to your workflow. And I guarantee you'll see something increase to it. And with 3D printing, the same. Everyone thinks it's so expensive in 3D printers. They're getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. And they're ones that become, say, one-button use-friendly, like just push-button. It's starting to be that way. I mean, there's still tricks and tips that you have to kind of know, but there are a lot of forums now that do this kind of stuff. And the printers have gone down in cost quite a bit. Most, what, most small say, touch-ups. I mean, if, I, if you yeah. wanted someone to, was going to start... With, I mean, obviously, things are going to change all the time. This will date the podcast horribly. But what would you say at the moment would be a good entry-level yeah, so cost and I would say I would say... If you just want to get started in 3D printing without breaking your bank, the best entry-level printers are going to be FDM or FFF. And their companies, the Dremel printer made a very good one for 500 US dollars maybe. Oh, wow. And yeah. you can get ones for about 250 And they'll do small little maquette busts, pretty high this resolution. This is the thing. I guess the yeah. cost goes up with size. And if it you're does. trying out, you yeah. don't need you don't big need stuff. Big stuff. Yeah, just, just try. But I mean, you're talking like you can get about like a hand-sized piece in a Dremel machine, like an Apple base for about 500 bucks. And you're going up with SLA. Like So as the high resolution gets up, your cost is going to go up. Yeah. The highest right now for cost for a 3D printer is the metal printers. You're talking about million, million and a half. 
no one in effects is ever going to need one. I don't ever foresee, not ever. Okay. We're talking high-end engineering stuff. The only thing that the high-end printers for effects is going to be SLS. Right. SLS basically, it's also stereolithography. However, it's actually a nylon-fused powder that it's binding. Most of the costumes in, say, the Loki helmet and the stuff that Ironhead does are all SLS-based machines. Okay. SLS used to be this cost-prohibitive technology. A typical printer was about 400000 U.S. Wow. to 500000 And you get big build volume. Well, the patent on SLS expired last year. And Form Labs at CES in 2017 announced they were coming out with this machine called the Fuse for about 10000 I think. Okay. But the whole setup is about twenty, which is significantly cheaper than the $400,000 machine. So now, technically, you could actually, as a company, instead of spending out to get prints done at a vendor, you could buy the machine yourself, hire a tech, cheaper for the year of you vending out your parts and become your own factory and then vend out parts for other people. It's adding another workflow for income, basically. It's not the sense of replacing things or doing this kind of stuff. It, it's literally the technology is becoming cheaper. There's patents on these printers are starting to expire. The next one I think up is the SLA patent. Mm -hmm. One that actually goes down because companies like say Form Labs, they license the patent from 3D Systems to own it. But when that patent expires, you're gonna see that field explode in terms of new growth and new things. So now is a good time to learn how to use the software, the software because, yeah. because you can be sure the tech will become cheaper and easier to use. Exactly. Kind of like if you're a photographer, you take photos, you may or may not have developed your yeah. own prints. But the point was, if you didn't have a dark room, that was not a barrier never to getting prints. Exactly. You just took it to a lab to get printed. Exactly. And you just paid and, and, there, and there's the exact same thing. You so can do that with, with you can do this you with 3D to... printing. You can go to Shapeways as a vendor to start off with. So that's there's the place you upload your file. Exactly. And, and they'll, 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 they'll give you an option to print with many different options, either high res or low res. So you don't need to own a own a 3D printer done. to get in this or get it done. And they're, they're companies like me. I own a 3D print prototype company. For a high-end file, you could send me a file and I can give you a quote on it on whatever resolution you want. There are many other vendors around the world now. Almost every country, there's at least one to, to kind of get that in. Some are going to be cheaper than others. Some are going to be more expensive, so you might have to shop around. But in the end, find the person that does the quality you like and go with them, you know, or give you the turnaround that you want. Um, and be mindful of that. You know, ask around too and see what you're getting actually for the end. Um, and it's it's great. I mean, you can you can learn this on a base, see the stuff done. When you hold something that you sculpt in your hand that you digitally sculpted and actually see it practical, it's pretty cool. Because people that actually have no practical sculpting knowledge are now learning digital sculpture for the first time and going through this trouble of how to do anatomy, how to do this stuff. But they're getting very proficient at it quickly. It, it, it's becoming very intuitive and I think that's because we're kind of a technology-based culture now with the, the advent of smartphones being around for only a decade. Um, the world's digital. It's becoming more digital. It's becoming smaller. Everything's becoming more ingrained in tech. Like everyone, old people that are, that are actually old engineers are getting into 3D sculpting now for the first time. And you see they were really good at AutoCAD back in the run. So they had some knowledge of a 3D program, but they never did something like ZBrush. And now they're doing these amazing engineered parts that are insanely stunning um, because they get over the hump of Wow, I can really do this, and I can see myself. It is so this. different. It's, yeah, it's, and it, it's not. It really yeah. isn't. And it's it's seen practical guys like I think Rick Baker was the very first person I ever saw do a zebra sculpture that was a practical artist. Period. Yeah. And it was stunning. And now he's kind of doing that a fair bit. He's now he starting is, to yeah. really embrace it. It's stunning. I mean, you see the work they do because he's such a good sculptor. Period, and a good designer. Period. 
using the ZBrush form, it's just a tool for him yeah. to do it maybe a little quicker or instead of fussing with something, I can do a quicker ZBrush. Yeah. And, and Steve Wine commented this on Instagram on something that it, something was very faster at it. And it, it's that which is the true, it's speed. If you're creative and you get the time to do maybe two sculptures, wouldn't you rather have that instead of doing just one? And then it becomes laziness as hard as that. There's a whole other yeah, yeah. You know, conversation that comes out to you. But by enabling yourself to do the best work possible, wouldn't you rather have something that gives you the time to get what you need to get done for the project and then maybe do something personal or add personal touches to it that you normally wouldn't have time to do in a practical sculpture? And by end, just making a better product as a whole. And, then, and that's the goal. The goal is to make the best product possible. So if you can enable yourself to learn the tech to do this, it's not taking away practical, it's not overshadowing it. It's just giving you an element of some stuff might be easier to sculpt digitally perhaps, or might be able to actually get made quicker to where you, in the end you can have the final product. It's it, it, negating the process. You're just adding something into your workflow that gives you the chance to have more time creatively in the sense to build the best creative product you can, I think. And I think that's the, that's the end goal for any of this stuff. There's a whole nother argument in young sculptors aren't learning practical sculpture, but they're learning digital stuff. And that gets into kind of a, a monetary thing at the sense. Most workshops don't pay a lot. Digital companies do pay a lot. A young sculptor would rather learn digital and make, say, 80,000 pounds a year starting at 20 years old and a senior tech at MPC I just met yesterday who just started learning ZBrush two years ago. Never touched a program in his life, never sculpted anything in his life. Was an artist, was an illustrator, can draw very well. So I should learn ZBrush. It's <laughs> insane, yeah. I mean, it, that goes into a whole other argument in, in the crazy factor of it. I mean, it's... It's mind-blowing what the software actually, the capabilities of it, if you know what to do with it. And it's something insanely brilliant about that, where <laughs> it's enabling a lot of different things. And, it, and that goes into the, it, our mold maker is going to be replaced by digital things, because you can 3D print molds and stuff now. Winner! Rob Freyas, I love that. That's possible, yeah. Um, but, it, but you can well, get high resolution. straight away, though. It'll gradually... It takes time. I mean, but but I mean, you can take 3D scans and invert them quickly. Yeah. yeah. Where to do that practically, you're talking many molds to do that and, and days of time. And also, and you seconds. can print things that perhaps yeah. uh, you need lots of. It might be quicker to make a mold of a little thing. Yeah. And then just cast those out. So exactly, if you, if you have the knowledge of both, you can make that choice. I mean, I think that's what I liked about the Rick Baker stuff. Was I think for him, because he knows how. To do it practically and what the problems would be, yeah, he you, understands and appreciates what you can do saving digital exactly by doing digital because yeah. he's doing the right things digitally. Yeah, he is because you're pointless doing something because you're making a one off. Yeah, because you're making a one off prop, right? You you only want one copy. Why do you want to make a mold to make fifty of them, right? And spend the time and the money. Silicone's expensive. The time and labor that goes into it to make a mold. What if you don't have the apartment to do fiberglass in? You can't physically make one. You don't have the workshop. So you're working in your parking garage, you know, and hopefully no one's going to get pissed off because you're doing polyester fiberglass. Then you switch to epoxy and people think, oh, it's no smell, and you realize it's all hella fucking toxic. And then in the end you get a rash to it and you can't use it anymore. So what, how do you get around that but you still want to make something? And it's giving you an option of, yeah, those are really extreme cases from A to Z, but it's just the idea of you don't have to give it up if you love it. You can still make it. There's other yeah. technologies to it to do. And... You can go about doing that. Yeah. Um, and it, it's just, the whole idea is creation. We, we want to create, we're artists, we want to make things. The whole idea of this stuff coming back is, for years, 
artists were kind of like the center of society and then throughout globalization and time you get knocked down and now it's what's the new field to make money you become a doctor you become a lawyer you become a realtor <laughs> you know it goes into that kind of thing you become an IT guy or a tech guy and the reality of it is is there is money in art and there's you can have an actual career field doing something you love to do instead of doing this corporate bullshit you hate by doing things you like to do so why not look into that yeah I think there's, it's understanding there's such a feel for artists now yeah I mean it's every every young person I've met or, or people in general like if you could tell yourself at 18 what would you do and I was like fuck engineering school man like go study and be an artist in computer tech and learn actually 3D modeling like you become a VFX supervisor Christ <laughs> career set for quite a long time you know um, but, but it's it, a new it's a new field I think the thing is, it is. a lot of people and are using forever changing they're using an old model well, they, I think there's a is. lot of things a lot, a lot, the models change in effects like even even in practical effects I think like from what we would do normally in effects on how to build something, you basically, you take a life cast, you do your sculpture, well you make corrections on the life cast, corrected cores and stuff, you do your overlapping ply into sculpture, you mold it, then you cast it, and then you apply it. Well now it's like, well, what if I only need a nose part, but I have a generic, but how can I make it work for my actor? I have a life cast of the actor. I'm going to have to do a clay pour. I'm going to have to re-sculpt it and do this stuff, right? Well, what about you don't have to do that? <laughs> How does that work? Well, what if you could take a scan of the actual life cast, which we've done, superimpose it on the inside of your appliance mold, just print a new core, run it off the same mold. How much time did you save yourself? Yeah. How much headache did you save And that yourself? can be printing whilst you're doing something else. Exactly. <laughs> and presumably that will get quicker. Exactly. And it will. And it will speed up. So it's adding something, thinking about that, of how can I get the best product by doing something quick and easier so I'm not killing myself on this simple little thing that might be a nuance where I can focus on making something more creative. It's designing a workflow that fits custom to you. It's not using that old model of, well, this is the way we do it and this is all we've done. And there's no evolution to it at all. The world evolved. In the last 10 years, the world is ever-changing daily. Effects is ever-changing daily. The industries are ever-changing daily. Why not evolve with it and become, again, the creative artist that you always have? And that basically it's what it is. It's 3D printing is not going anywhere. 3D design is not going anywhere. It, it is here to stay. From a practical sensibility, it does make sense to have it in your kit and toolbox. It's not doing away with practical makeups by any means. It literally is just enabling you to get the time to do the best product possible, period. And if you can do that digitally, is a hybrid approach in your workflow versus just straight on practically to do a mold and stuff like that. Because if you, say you do a practical sculpture, right? You do the core, you do it off, say, a head scan or a life cast you have, and you do a sculpture on that. Well, if you scan that and 3D print that and make a mold, right? You don't have time to make a mold or vice versa, but you can do that. You can always go back to that digital copy. So years later, say the life cast never changed or the actress never changed, or you're doing something with her and you can't get a life cast for whatever reason. And say your life cast broke or it's missing. You have the digital file now. You can go back and make a new one. You can rechange the core if you want. You can take an existing mold and make now a superimposed negative on it. It saves you time. What is the, there's no bad thing about that at all. It, like as a shop owner, that's like bliss. Mm. 
Because in the end, you're the one paying the budgets and the one signing the bills and paying the staff and everything else. I think the only bad thing is is people saying, I don't know how to do that. Yeah. And you go, well, then you've identified the weak link of the chain is your knowledge. Yeah, exactly. Which you can change. You can change. <laughs> the, the, the reality of it is, is it's just practice. Yeah. And it's starting out small. And by getting anyone listening to this podcast that does this, I recommend start out small. Look at YouTube first before paying for anything. Watch a video of some guy sculpting in it, and you might be like, it's the most boring shit ever. I'm never gonna do this, whatever. Buy a book on Amazon. Get a sale one, get an older version of one. Try it. If you hate it, try to force yourself to stay in it just a little bit because the knowledge you have in it, even if you don't wanna do it and say, I have, fuck this, I'm, I'm not gonna do it. I'm the old guy, I'm gonna stay, stay by the truth. But you might know a little bit of enough so when you have to deal with it or say you're actually mold making a 3D printed sculpture which has its own challenges, you know what you're doing. You know you're not gonna mess that up which might be really expensive from the vendor that your boss got that from. Say like Jose in general, you get like a 1-1 Loki helmet that might cost 15 to 20,000 for the print. And you have to sand and body shop that and if you sand through that, what does that mean? You know what I mean? It has to be mirror finished. Yeah. Not hard to get. But you wouldn't start with that. Looks no. just like you wouldn't start with yeah. the sculpture in a but, shop. But that's start it. But you start up. You start very, very small. So, it, but it's knowing that knowledge of. I'm kind of somewhat familiar with it. Yeah. It'll enable me to do a better job. Yeah. That's all that matters. That's all it is. Yeah. And going low stakes, like you say. So exactly. You just try. It. Very start out basics. You, you're not going to become a master of this program overnight, but. You there's stories it. of yeah, and there's stories of it. The guys that do, I, I, I've worked with a few of them that in two years they become one of the world's best at, at, at sculpting at this. Well, this Never is doing thing. this before. No, this is the other yeah. thing. I think there are new avenues as yet untapped because I think the technology and where the technology crosses over into practical stuff is still kind of uh, a wild west. I don't think... It is. It, it's, it, you it, know, that it hasn't been done yet. No, so it's, all this stuff is made. cutting edge. It really is. And I mean, granted, the printers, their companies that have had workflow printers in it, Legacy being the oldest that I know of in, in actual effects, they saw a need for it early on for Iron Man, I think. We can take digital sculpture maquettes and do designs from the company in doing that. And... Um, well, basically from there, we can actually use this and actually add it to the thing. And then you print off something for a director. They can walk around, look at it, and say, cool, okay, go. A lot of the design departments, like Marvel Visual Ed Department, they designed 100% digital now. You're getting a digital asset from them to make something. You can't sculpt. Like, you can go to sculpt it if you want. But Marvel doesn't want that. They want you to 3D print it. They're taking the option away from you of doing it practically. You're, they want a practical product in the end, but they're giving you a digital asset to do it. And as a vendor, which are basically whatever your effects company is, you're a vendor to make it for them no matter what. So your quality, the highest standards, they know that's why they hire you. It, it's, it's something to use. It, it's just something new to do. And by starting out small, I guarantee if you stick with it, you're gonna grow with it. It's a technology that's here to stay. It's not going anywhere. It's getting better and better each year. With companies adding this to their permanent workflow, it's becoming more and more intuitive. And as a mold maker now, mold makers are becoming more body shoppers at some of these shops. That's all they're doing. That's a whole different technique that wasn't around. Yeah, they do a little bit of that stuff, you know, 10, 15 years ago, but that's a whole different thing. It's employing people basically now to sand 3D prints. It's wild. <laughs> it is the wild west in the sense of things are forever evolving. 
the tech is getting better and better, the software is getting more intuitive, what does that mean? What's, what's the end goal of that? There's no reason to add it, not add it to your workflow at the time. But also, will there one day be 3D printed prosthetics? I'm gonna bust your bubble there, it's already starting to happen. There's a silicone printer on the market. There's a company now that just made a material to do silicone appliances. Now granted, they're not encapsulated, but who's to say you can't re-encapsulate it and add an edge on it? It happens, you do it all the time. So it's, it's starting to kind of go that way. It, now, is this taking away anything of practical? No. But the other thing is, it can do so much more. If you, if you learn how to use it, then you can decide how it gets used. Very that's much so. If no one's well, doing it. this stuff, yeah. then that's why you need to Because this is it. the thing, as a creative person, you want to be the one driving the end product. Mm -hmm. You want to be the one actually doing this. Yeah. Bill Corso a while back talked about a course that's digitally retouching. Happens in every single film we work on nowadays as of the last decade. Well, he owns a company that does digital retouching. Why is that? He wants to be in control of his makeups or the makeup clients artist that you get the say of what they retouch and what they don't. And, and you what do it needs better be. than them because the thing it, is because you you know what to look background. at and you know where the appliance overlaps you know where the edge lifts they might not see that and it happens all the time with TV the makeup artist designer usually before it comes to VFX you'll get the rough cut and if there's something wrong you could circle it and say hey guys you know what I mean it was after a 16 hour day because we all know they want to do the close ups at the end of the day 16 and a half hours of them in the makeup when the thing's falling off their face half the time. And then they're like, right, no. Yeah. Like Sometimes the, the, the problem is just an edge. Yeah. It's like if we just fix this edge in post, we can get the shot. Exactly. Maybe we only need to fix this edge yeah. for 30 frames. And they don't want to, the hardest thing is they're like, you want to shoot it now, 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 now is what you hear. And you're like, I might not have time to fix that edge on yeah. site. And, and they're going to shoot it anyway. It but if I know I can fix it in post, then great, shoot it. Get and your we're shot the ones who are fixing it. Exactly. It doesn't have to go over to a different department. Exactly. It's... You're the one driving that. Yeah. And if you know that workflow, the same thing in, in modeling. If you're getting something in, you're the one driving that. Mm. Why wouldn't you want to learn how to do that? I mean, even if you say, I'm never going to use this, I'm never going to do that. If you just want to make maquettes all day, let me tell you something. Every toy company, 90% of all toys, in fact, it's almost 100 now. There's only a couple of sculptors doing practical stuff right now, are all digitally sculpted. For every collectible you will get, it's 100% of it's digitally sculpted. I guess it makes sense because then you can print out different scales without having to re-sculpt it. Exactly. Well, it's, it's also changes. The licensee has the, the main goal of whoever you buy the license from, they're going to want to oversee it and look at it. And they might make minor changes. And they might do that a hundred times to get it and to what they have. And don't have to re-sculpt it. And you yeah. don't have to re-sculpt it. You can take different iterations of it and do that. That's the advantage of digital. And everyone that does Photoshop knows the advantage of layers and everything else. 3D is the exact same thing. It's basically a layer option. It's it's like being able to edit a Word document endlessly without having to rewrite it by hand. Every single you know time. I mean? Every time every you make a spelling time. mistake, yeah. rewrite the whole and it, it would drive you mad. If you had to do that on every single sculpture, rechange a hundred things, as an artist, you really become like, I'm a drone over and over and over and over again. It takes the fun out of it. Yeah. But by doing something that's not going to be that invasive in the sense of the digital world, I think like you're not getting to that sense, like it's not driving you to the point of madness at that point, but you're like, okay, it's getting a little tedious. And then you just bill them out for every change you want to make after so many, and then in the end it balances out in hindsight. But, but it's getting to that, realizing it's something fun, it's something that you can actually add, it's a positive thing, not a negative, and with 3D printing, you're going to see more and more of it. So it is advantageous to start learning about the basics. And if the whole thing of the podcast 
get you in of just knowing just a hint of it, maybe you actually just get something cool for your mantle and actually get something amazing. And, and that's a cool thing, you can make it yourself. Or if you have a broken microwave thing, you can print like the base of it. Um, instead of trying to track down the part at a hardware store, you know, in the middle of Sweden, if you're in Stockholm in hindsight, or China in anywhere. Which is interesting because that takes back, you know, things that you relegated over to manufacturing industries. And yeah. So you can replace that. And in a world where, you know, you're encouraged to not throw stuff away because we've got landfill full of shit well, this and we're is running exactly, out of resources, yeah. it's a good idea if we just fix the thing. It becomes kind of a green technology in a green world. And, and granted, some of the materials are going to use, you got to take care of them. SLA resins are basically polyacrylic type things. They are going to have some warning factors. You're not going to want to dump it down the sink, keep it out of sunlight. If it gets on anything and sun does happen, it will cure it, similar to super glue. Um, does chip off. Um, there are things you're going to want to be aware of. PLA basically is a corn-based plastic. ABS is a little different. Um, but they all can be recycled. So a lot of the, the 3D tech that's doing this stuff can be recycled. So it's becoming kind of a green technology where plaster and molds, if you're making a plaster mold, it's done. It's there. It becomes dust. You can't reuse it. There, there's no reusability in green cycle at all. So it's becoming another way to look at things. Instead of making many iterations of many silicone molds and multiple, 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 before you design something, have to take multiple steps, you can design it just once, print it, make a mold of it, and there's your prototype. And you have one minor mold you might have to make a duplicate of. But for a toy factory or a toy company, your collectibles company, it's a no-brainer. It makes sense. And, and for film, it's the exact same way. It's, it's taking multiple iterations of repeating yourself and doing it once right one time. And I think that's where 3D is an advantage. So that was my interview with Chris Dombos. Thank you very, very much, Chris, for giving up your time and sitting outside in the freezing cold on this bench. But it was amazing. We had a good couple of hours uh, while we chatted. So uh, I had a fantastic time. So just to remind you, obviously... Uh, you, if you want to email the show, you can email myself and Todd at this email address. It's Stuart and Todd. It's the word and, it's not an ampersand. Stuart and Todd at gmail.com. And check out our Facebook page as well. It's Stuart and Todd on the Facebook page. Or if you just look up Battles of Bits of Rubber, you should track us down. And obviously you can listen to us. Well, you're listening to us now. So whatever podcast or podcatcher you're listening to us now obviously works. But we're also on iTunes and Apple Podcasts. Uh, Google Play Music, uh, Spotify, we're on Spotify too, so um, check us out, subscribe and leave a review, I believe you can leave reviews on iHeartRadio and iTunes, but it'd be really handy for us if you can leave a, a, a nice uh, review, if you enjoy it, give us a five stars, because we love it, and it also helps tell those pod places that we are out there and we have an active listenership, so that would be fantastic. Thank you very much again for listening, and like I say, if you have any questions, get in touch, enjoy your day, hope you have a good time, thanks for listening, and we'll speak to you soon.